Hey, Scooters, back with Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast, everything center fire and rim fire. Uh, welcome back. I know it's been a little bit since we put one on, but we've got a pretty good show for you today. Uh, again, I'm here with Dave. How you doing, Dave? Hey, uh, doing pretty good. Uh, just got off work, just got home. How's things going up there? Pretty good. I mean, it's uh, South Texas in the summertime, so, you know, we have that, you know, the forecast changes every day. It's hot and humid. And then the next day it's going to be hot and humid. <laughs> and then the next day it's going to be humid and hot. And uh, we just uh, wash, rinse, repeat every single day. Yeah, I've been down here about 10 years now, and I've just learned July and August, I, I just don't do much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's not a, not a whole lot to do uh, outside anyway. I mean, we've been doing we've been doing quite a bit of work out here on the range, just so everyone knows. Whenever uh, you leave rifles only now, you won't have to immediately go to a chiropractor because of all the bumps in the road. We had the, we had the road redone, and it looks fantastic. Oh, and awesome. It's so, I just I just drove up and down it a couple times just because you know why not I mean this yeah. road is awesome. so uh, yeah last week they took we took four days uh, got a contractor in here and they put in uh, caliche and so it's 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 all looking good we should have all of our drainage you know sorted out now and and uh, man just really happy to drive down the road to rifles only and, and not not be beat to death yeah yeah I remember I would I would always have to take it pretty slow and you're still gonna get rocked around yeah. For sure, for sure. But those days are over. Awesome. So I'm happy. I'm happy about that. Next up is the parking lot, and we're working on that, uh, endeavoring to get that done here probably, hopefully by the end of the month. Awesome. But that's the news here. Uh, went out to um, went out to California and did a 22 rimfire class, a basic class out there, a two-day job out uh, near Sonoma. So I was out uh, in the Northern California at a uh, wing and barrel ranch. I uh, went out there and had uh, 12 students in the class. We had a really good time out there. That's a really cool place to go and, and check out. They, they're mainly a shotgun club, uh, but they, they take care of you, you know, with the, with the pistols, carbines and the, and the long guns too. So uh, they got a new range out there. They're planning on expanding that a little bit more. They're going to put in a, a 22 mover. Awesome. Um, they, I'm just, I am real. I was really pleased with the way that class went. The students out there were fantastic. I had such a good time hanging out with them. Um, they took care of us really, really well out there. And, and I can't wait to go back and, and train again at that range. It was, it was a lot of fun, a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I think we talked a little bit. We're probably going to head out there sometime soon. So. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to go out for multiple classes and then we'll, we'll conduct a match for them out there as well. So, We'll just get that stuff, get that stuff rolling for, you know, right after the first of the year. Uh, we should have some dates come up to, to be in NorCal again out there with uh, doing 22 as well as Centerfire. So they're going to expand it out for the Centerfire a little bit more. So opening up a new place out there that we can go and train and, and get to see all our, our West Coast peaks that we miss a lot. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Yep. And then upcoming is we've got the uh, King of 0.28 miles up in Minnesota. That's at the end of the month. I think that that match filled up in about, uh, for a second yeah and, um, it was like 20 minutes and it was full yeah yeah but we're doing we're doing training prior which that class is full and then we're doing training monday and tuesday afterwards that class is not full um i think we have two more slots in that one so if y'all wanted to if anybody's up in that area and looking for a slot in that second class it, it'll be available yeah and uh come check us out uh i think we've talked about it a little bit i might actually do some after hour stuff or you know if anybody needs some help with anything we'll be there so for like yeah. when well, we're going to be the class like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm -hmm. I believe is a uh, dope day, range day. 
I think they're mm-hmm. gonna have. Uh, has he? I guess he said that he's gonna. He's already told everybody he's gonna have applied ballistics. I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag on that one. Um, no, no, that's a big thing. AP is gonna be there, so yeah. Yeah, and of course we'll be there all day. I'm gonna shoot the match, so I'll be there all day, and uh, you know, come hang out. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be behind the spotting scope for that weekend too. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting up there and doing that. Checking the weather up there, it's like 80s and 50s. So I'm like, let's go, let's go. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to wear a jacket. <laughs> yeah, I know I am. That's for sure. Uh, other exciting news, the gun that I ordered a long time ago, the new APX came in and, um, I'm sitting here looking at it right now. I had the opportunity to, uh, go ahead and get it all, all rigged out. I've got, uh, the little fold, the Mark five HD on it, the five twenty five, uh, rocking the, um, Thunder Beast bipod up front, um, little pulled high rings. I, I just can't find, I can't find anything that I don't like about this gun. I had a chance to go out and shoot it. And really, without without really putting any effort into it at all, you know, it was you know well better than a half minute gun. And uh, I have it I have it chambered in six Creedmoor right now. It came with a six five, but I had them spin me up another barrel. So uh, I can't wait to burn these barrels out and get new barrels on it. But I'm I'm really liking the way it is. It, uh, back in the '90s, I was able to get an Accuracy International trigger to where you could actually move the shoe, the trigger shoe, backwards and forwards to where it would fit, you know, different size hands. And they brought that back with this new trigger that they have in, in here. Uh, again, I need to I need to do some adjustments on it, mm-hmm. um, you know, for my liking. But being able to to get to where you can get your ninety degree trigger press it is a heck of a lot easier now by being able to move that trigger back and forth of the shoe. And so, really good. It, I shot George's down here in February. Oh yeah, um, I that. yeah. During the Ice Apocalypse match, he had. He had one of the prototypes here, and I had a chance to shoot that, and I fell in love, and I ordered it, and it finally came in, uh, thanks to Mile High Shooting and Diane over there for, for getting me sorted out. And, uh, man, I just I just, I just can't find anything I don't like about the gun. I like the weight, um, you know, completely rigged out the way it is right now. It's 15 pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, gun's 13 pounds out of the box, and uh, I've got, you know, a suppressor on it, and it, it's just, man, it's just fantastic. It's so much fun to shoot. A little bit lower, lower profile for the barrel sits a little bit deeper in the chassis, uh, that really affects that recoil pulse a lot. I mean, and it affects it in a positive way. It's really easy to drive straight. Um, you know, there's there's no bounce, no jump, nothing. I mean, this gun, this gun, I'm I haven't been excited about a, a bolt gun like this in a long, long time. So I'm I'm real happy to have that have that in the arsenal down here now. That's awesome. They're also, um, I think I saw Tom posted not long ago, the chassis should be out too. So anybody wants to drop their 700 or, uh, or Voodoo or, uh, Remax, uh, Pagaro, whatever, you know, 22 you're using or your, your centerfire. So if, if you like what you got, but you like that chassis, they're going to have that option as well. And I'm, I'm probably going to pick up the rifle and pick up the chassis just to try them all out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Of course it's got it, it adjusts, you know, there's, there's no adjustment on here that you can't achieve. Um, and it, it's just, man, I, I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm really, really impressed with this rifle. And again, the, the price is right too. They're not, you know, they're not the, the real, real high end cost, you know, like a lot of the, the, that. So it's, uh, it, it's really, it's really, it's a really good gun. Oh, also, I forgot to also mention, uh, I know guys probably know, but if you don't know, the chassis will all also not just the Remington 700. It will be available for the uh, AI. So if you already have an AT, it's the exact same action. You can debond your AT and drop it in, so you don't have to buy an entire new AI if you already have one. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah. A2 yeah. grip, you can put whatever grip you like. Your MPA grip, you like your Ergo grip, whatever grip you want, it works. 
it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I can't believe the the versatility that you have with the system is is really really cool. And it's an AI, so and it's an AI. I kind of like AIs. I've been <laughs> shooting them, uh, and I, I, they get a gun just fits. It fits, and I can I can feel all that history on that. That's awesome. <laughs> My shoulder. It's really nice. It's really nice. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and, and we'll we'll get into a, a, a little trading topic with you in a little bit, David. But I was I was flipping through the web, and I came across this video of um, gun failures, mm-hmm. and uh, just different things. You could tell some of those things. You know, they had plug barrels, and you know, catastrophic failures on the gun. But one of the things that we always talked about out here at Rifles Only, and I learned it at at, uh, at Thunder Ranch with Clint Smith, is um, whenever you're shooting an AR platform, the um, a lot of times people will grab right on the magazine well, so half of their hand is on the, the mm-hmm. chassis of, and, and then the other half is actually on the magazine. And again, I learned this a long time ago, but I don't think anybody really you know, does it too much. But if you use that grip, keep in mind that if that, if that AR platform is going to have a catastrophic failure, it's designed to fail out of the magazine well. And so I was, you know, I was told this, you know, before that, you know, don't put your hand there, you know, hold it up on the, on the forearm like you're supposed to. And I heard that, you know, like I say, ages ago. And then finally I saw a video where it actually happened and it looked like that the fingers didn't work too good after that. I know I've said it from some of my classes and again, I, I learned it from Clint Smith ages ago. And, uh, that's just, that's just one of the ways that, you know, you can keep from having one of those big boo-boos and, and lose two fingers off your hand. You know, just don't, don't grip the magazine well in the magazine you know, on the semi-auto platforms. Yeah, keep that in mind, guys. It's it's. I've caught myself doing it. It's, it's comfortable and um, it's not safe. Like you said, you can you can lose a hand that way. And uh, for anybody, you know, you always have the argument. Uh, we've tested it uh, different jobs. I've had a hundred different times. You're just as fast or faster right on the forearm, and you're more stable. So yeah, and it's more safe. Yeah. Very cool. Well, everybody knows that we have a uh, we have the uh, ROAP at RiflesOnly.com, and that is the that is the email that we want you guys to use and, and send in with questions and stuff like that. On our last podcast, we announced that um, we're going to on the a future podcast here pretty quick. We're going to have uh, Regina Milkovich and Allison Zane on. They're the only two females who have won uh, national level competitions. In between them, they've won a lot of them, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, we, we put that out during the podcast that we wanted people, you know, to send in questions for these girls. And I thank you so much because we have received a lot of questions. And um, now it's just we're logistically trying to figure out when Regina and Allison and us can make our, our schedules jibe. And I know that uh, Dave was working on that yesterday and he kind of got some information. And I'll be I'll be talking to Regina uh, later on today or tomorrow so that we can get these, uh, get the schedule sorted out. But the questions that are coming in for the girls are really good. And awesome. I, I, pre- yeah, I really appreciate, uh, you guys taking the time out to send that in to ROAP at rifles That's the email address. Anybody else, if you're just hearing it for the first time, send in questions. These two girls, um, have, have worked really, really hard and they've gotten to the point to where both of them have multiple national level matches underneath their belt. They own two females to do so. And so, we want to we want to you know spend some time with them, but there's also other questions that have come in, um, you know, just concerning the regular podcast. And and I, I appreciate all the kind words that come in on on people liking the podcast and everything else. But I wanted to cover some of those uh, with you, Dave, if, if that's all right with you yeah, right let, now. Let's begin. Okay, first one, um, new barrels. Okay, if you get a you have a, a new gun or you spin up a new barrel, the barrels are said to speed up over a short period of time, over um, a few rounds, maybe a hundred rounds, maybe 200 rounds, but that you could possibly gain 
you know, 20, 40, 30, whatever feet per second on that barrel. Mm-hmm. And the question was, is that a thing? Is it really a thing? And then typically how many rounds does it take for that to happen? And so I'll let you tackle that one for a little bit, Dave. Yeah, no problem. It's absolutely a thing. Um, uh, as far as barrel break-in, that's as far as I would ever call it that. Uh, I don't, I personally don't do anything special and most anybody I know has abandoned any type of break-in procedure, you know, the clean shoot, clean shoot stuff, but a barrel speeding up is absolutely a thing. Um, there's various uh, opinions or theories why it does it, but it absolutely does happen. Um, the set amount of rounds, uh, it's usually 200 or less. Uh, I, uh, I now use a, a labradar a lot, uh, just because I can shoot and, and have it there tracking everything I'm doing and it's easy. So what I I, I do is uh, I'll do one of two things. I'll, if I have a, a club match that's coming up around the corner or whatever, I'll load a, uh, a charge that I know is in the middle. It's not high pressure or anything. It's, it's nothing that's going to be hard on it. And I'll go shoot a club match. Um, usually that's, uh, you know, with dope, uh, you, get, you get zero and then dope, that's 20, 30 rounds, whatever you do. And then a match, you know, 80 to 100 rounds. And now I'm into a 100, 150 rounds. Uh, if I don't have anything going on, I will set my lab radar up and I will load again, the same light load that I know runs well. And I just, uh, practice, I might be prone. I might be, uh, off of barricades, uh, usually just shooting at hundred yards, one inch dots. And I just keep an eye on the, uh, the lab radar and you'll, and you'll see it. And, and if you got a magneto, you could do it, or you could just check it every now and again. Uh, and so what I do is I just watch for it. You'll, you'll see it creep up and then eventually you'll, you'll see it plateau. And then, you know, it might be 100 rounds, maybe 120, sometimes up to 200. Uh, so that's what I do. If uh, if you just want to forego all that, just go shoot a club match or two club matches or go practice, do some practice sessions, get 200 rounds on the barrel, and you should be fine. Yeah, I, I didn't even really start checking velocities, you know, on my barrels, you know, until, you know, I've got, you know, two to 300 through them, uh-huh. you know, and then, then I'll check velocities or I might, I might backtrack the data, you know, if, this, if I'm, you know, causing me to, have this much dope on at this range, I can, you know, backtrack that with the use of a ballistic arc. Yeah, and you know, make, yeah. Well, and so it kind of gives you, gets you right in that, in that thing. But don't, I mean, don't sweat that too much. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, it changing, you know, 300 feet per second. You know, it's not going to no. do that. It's going to be a change, but it, it's going to be a pretty consistent change. And for the reasons why, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something, you know, out there, people can send me an email and, and tell me how I'm wrong, but, I do know that whenever you have uh, tight barrels uh-huh. uh, that you know, are a little bit, you know, a little bit tighter, you know, barrels, all barrels are different. You know, if I have a, if I go and I order two barrels of the same caliber from the same guy from the same shop, they might dope out a little bit differently, uh, you know, whenever we start to get the longer ranges. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I also know that, you know, you're going to leave that copper fouling in your bore after you shoot. And I mean, every round, every round you lose metal and you add copper. Uh-huh. And so, Maybe as you're adding that copper in there, it's starting to tighten up that bore a little bit. And whenever it tightens up that bore, it means the pressures are going to be higher to get the bullet to move down through it. And so whenever that happens, if the pressures are higher, that equates to more velocity. Uh, there could be other reasons for it, but I know that I've seen it. I've seen it in the past whenever I did an absolutely stupid thing as I would go and take that barrel and clean it all the way down to the bare metal. Well, that would cause, you know, some problems. One, my impact is going to shift before it settles back in to where it gets some fouling in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, two, the barrel didn't last very long, you know. So it's, you know, like I say, I've got my own, you know, cleaning regimen that I do. Um, I, it might not be for everyone, but, you know, it works for me. And so, 
you know, I just, uh, I try to leave at least some copper in there. Um, and I think it's because it reduces the size of the bore and gives you a little bit more velocity. And then you're not adding chemicals in there that kind of, you know, tear up the, the metal anyway. Yeah. Um, anybody that, uh, there, there's that, uh, a lot of people have that theory. Uh, there's an interesting one. Anybody that's familiar with Jim C, I know, you know, Jim C, um, mm-hmm. he, I, I don't know how long I saw it. It was on his Facebook page or maybe it was on uh, elite accuracy, his company, but he did a, a video where he explained his theory of, you know, the lands and basically burnishing in and, and other things like that. And, and there's, it, it's a really good video and it, and it says some of the same stuff here. So, uh, I don't ever want to say there's, you know, there's a lot of different theories and, and check them out guys. Like, uh, there's a lot of smart guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is you can't really discount it, you know, no, like, no. you know, ideas on that and that, that brought me to another point i don't know did i did i talk to y'all did i mention on the podcast my conversation that i had with jake Vibert about uh steel i don't believe so okay so anyway i've seen these advertisements for um you know five to ar 550 and it you know i hadn't really and that's i've seen them for a, a few years but i didn't really know what that meant you know so i called up i called up jake and i was talking to him about it because we run through a lot of targets out here at rifles only and we, he did. Uh, he developed a spring target that we use here a lot, and we haven't had a target failure, you know, during a match or during training in a long time, just with some basic maintenance. Um, but at any rate, we, he was talking about how that the steel that he gets, you know, he tested and it's AR five hundred, and mm-hmm. so it's in that four ninety eight range, you know, whenever he gets it. But then he had, he has the ability uh, there locally to test the hardness of steel, and so he took one of the targets that he was using. And it was, he took it down to have the steel tested on it after it had been used a lot. I mean, it used, you know, they, they typically start to crack and pieces of them break off. And, mm-hmm. and so he took it down and that steel had actually hardened. It was nearly AR 600 at that point. It wasn't quite AR 600, mm-hmm. 598. Like work hardened from the, from the impacts? Yeah. Yeah. It work hardened from the impacts. He says every time that bullet hits it, what it does is it compresses that steel a little bit more and makes it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And you're finally going to get to that point to where, you know, the, the steel is just so it's hard that brittle. it's brittle. And yeah. That's why break off of it. I mean, we've seen this, you know, tens of thousands of times down here, you know, moving through targets. And so I thought that was real interesting about that. You know, and I, I'm, I know that, uh, you know, maybe there's some sort of something relatable that, you know, with uh, with what happens to the steel in the barrel because, it's you know, it, it is based with those pressures and things like that. And Jim C might be onto something. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much going on um, that I just, I don't, Obviously, we don't have all the technology to measure what's going on in that bore, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know if we ever will. It'll be cool when we do, but yeah, we yeah. we've got some really good theories, but there's still a lot of a lot of unknown out there. Yeah, but it's amazing. It's amazing the the things that we're doing that we're doing with these guns now. You know, the the group sizes that people are getting at a thousand yards. You know, and kind of like wow. I mean, that's that's some that's some alien shit there. Oh, it's, it's nuts. And I, I, we talked about it before. I've had that amp press for a couple weeks now and I'm just burning through. I mean, shooting a lot too, but I'm just burning through. I probably went through uh, a thousand. I mean, I'm going to pull them and reuse them, but, uh, I probably went through a thousand burger bullets already, just seating and doing different things and messing with, a uh, uh, neck tension, the inside finish lubricant, j- you name it. Uh, the, you know, how much we chamfer because you know, all of a sudden we have this new tool that can, that can measure something that we couldn't measure two weeks ago. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm, I know that you and I spoke about that and you wanted to give that a little bit more time before you, you know, really got a whole bunch of information on that, but I'm, I'm very interested in your results because your, your charts are looking intriguing. They're, they're definitely there. Uh, the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stay away from some of the specifics, but I mean, cause people are always going to want to know. So we'll throw them something. Um, 
some of the stuff I, I'll just I'll, I'll get to later, and some of it is just because uh, people are really setting their belief systems, and you start turning those upside down. You got to really ease into that. Other is is I just need more time. Uh, one a couple things I could tell you is pay attention to uh, the inside of your neck a lot. That's where the bullet sits. It's metal on metal, so I'm not saying whether it's lube or whatever you decide to do. Just pay attention. That's that's where you seat them at. Same thing with your chamfer. Uh, whether you do a lot or a little, that can that can add up. And uh, one big thing that I've noticed, any of you guys that like to use like uh, graphite, dry graphite powder, whatever you like to do, uh, a lot of people, myself included, have tried dipping the bullets in it because it's just easier to hold the bullet instead of like rubbing the uh, you know powder all in the neck and getting it everywhere. Right. Uh, same thing with a mandrel. If you're running a mandrel inside your neck, it's the same idea as a bullet. It almost does not work. And I, that's going to upset some people. I'm going to get hate mail for this, but uh, it, it, all, it basically rubs off. And uh, I'm getting the exact same measurements or maybe just a little bit better uh, when you uh, put it on the mandrel or put it on the bullet and seat it is if you put nothing on there. Uh, it seems like the, the lip of the case just rubs it right off. It just scrapes it off. However, if you put it inside the case, inside the neck, completely different. So, uh, guys, if you like to dip your bullets in that powder, you might be wasting your time. Uh, look into it. Well, there it is. And the thing about it is I know as you gather more data with that, with that new toy that you have, you know, we'll be able to actually put some, some real, real information on that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. We'll get it out there. And then like we talked about, and, uh, some people have questioned, you know, the price of it and all that. And, uh, you know, by $1,400 or so, I think retail and, and it sounds expensive, but we were talking the way I look at it. Let's say, let's say I take that press and I learned that none of this, uh, fancy stuff matters and you could just spend put the powder in, seat the bullet and go. That's worth $1,400 to me because now one, I know. And two, I just saved myself countless hours and uh, headaches in the future. So even if it turns out that this press shows us that nothing matters or nothing fancy matters to me, that's worth it. Well, yeah, for sure. The time is something you're never going to get back. You know, that's, that's why I like my, my Dylan 1050. Mm -hmm. So it works out pretty well. Another thing that came up is, um, they were talking about the mile per hour gun right. and they got that question for me that, that, that information's out there on the internet all over. Um, but his next question was, do we use this at a match or fall on the, the Kestrel? And he even put in there uh, dash. It depends. Ha. <laughs> so it does. It, it does. It does. It really does. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, you know, that if you want, I, I feel I personally, and, and I've said this, you know, the, the range finder, you know, it's, it's really good. It's a really good tool. You know, I can go out there and I can get the range for my target. And it's, it's exact and everything else. But I also use the range finder other times, too. I just keep it in my truck and mm -hmm. I say, how far do how is? And then I make a guess. And then I put the range finder up and I check it. And so I'm starting to train my brain on that, on how to get ranges, at least rough ranges. And then also the Kestrel or the weather meters in general, you know, the electronic ones when they first came out. I used to have one that was a, I, have, I still have it. It's a mechanical one with a little ball inside a tube. And so if the wind is, you know, between this and this, you know, you don't put your hand over the hole or and then yeah. if it is between this and this, you put your hand over this hole and it will give you that wind. And I would, I use those back then too. Well, how high do I think the wind is? And so I'll make that guess and then I'll check it against the Kestrel these days. And what you do is you start educating your brain and it's, it's, um, you know, whenever any, any match that you go to, you know, any match that you go to and, you know, even training out here, you know, you come up to a new range and everybody's holding the Kestrels up in the air, you know, trying to get the wind. And I don't really do that, you know, whenever I'm hunting and stuff like that. I don't, you know, whenever it's game time, I don't really do that. I kind of go off what I feel. 
Uh, your thoughts? I'm I'm pretty much the same. Um, I, I part of it it is a depends thing, and then I also think it it kind of comes with uh, your your level of comfort, level of skill, and and if you shoot a lot or have some natural ability, that might be faster or slower or what have you. But uh, though what I do now is the same thing. I, my Kestrel, I do keep my dope in my Kestrel because it's easy, and uh, yeah. there's no touchscreen. We've talked about that before. My preference for that, and I like the applied ballistics, but I. I don't remember the last time I actually used it for wind in a match. I, yeah. I shoot quite a bit of matches. Uh, however, uh, when it does, when I do bring it out at a match, it's usually if it's like some really switchy stuff or it's really high wind. And I'm like, man, I know it's more than this, but I don't know if it's, you know, 18 or 25 or something. And I might pull it out for that. Very rare. Uh, but where I do use it, like you said, is I, I keep it with me uh, and I uh, use it for uh, outside I'll be walking around at work or something. Uh, how much do I think the, the the wind is here? And I take a reading and I start training myself. The other big thing you can do, you need to do it at a range or anywhere with a decent amount of space is uh, send your buddy down range with it. Uh, be safe about it, obviously. Send your buddy down there uh, and make a guess on what you think the wind is doing where he's at and have him call you and tell you and just practice and take turns doing that with each other. Um, yeah, and you can't, you can't get, you can't get, too far whenever you're doing that because that's not going to really give you a good indication of where the board is actually flying. You that's know, because true too. The, the higher the max board, the higher the wind that the bullet's going to live there for a while. And, I, and again, it's not it, the way I look at it is this: you know, uh, Frank made the comment. You know, wind is the great equalizer. He made that comment years ago uh, whenever he was down here, and he's right. Uh, it is because wind is something that. You know, the only place that you can get the actual win is at the shooter. And obviously, that's the most important it place is. because yeah. the bullet gets affected, you know, longer. Um, but you have to understand that every time you make a win call downrange, it's a guess. Now, the more you do it and the more you succeed and the more you fail, the more educated your guess becomes. And so it, you get to the point to where you get some guys, man, he can really read the win. Well, no. It's not, it, it, he can read the wind, but what he's doing is he's making an educated guess. And the more that he's done it, the more educated that guess has become, you know, through time and shooting and in different conditions and putting that stuff down range. Like you're talking about really good idea, but you gotta, you gotta, gotta be careful. Be careful. Gotta be careful. Um, yeah, of course, obviously you're not shooting when somebody's down range, but you know, you have to be careful on using that data because once that bullet, the further it gets away from the ground, the more wind it's having to deal with. And I have, uh, I noticed that in a match. That's I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I find myself doing it. Um, uh, and I notice other guys don't cause they just don't think about it until somebody tells you something by max Ord and wind gradients and, uh, bug a meal press. Look about that. He's, he's a, a wind God. Uh, oh, yeah. and try to get him on one day. But anyway, I'm always, uh, I never see, or I see a few guys, but what I do is I look, I'm, I'm feeling it at the, the, or maybe I measure it with the Kestrel, the shooter or whatnot, but m most of the time I don't, but I start looking at the terrain and where the bullet's going to be at and how high, you know, if it's low brush, if it's high trees, if I'm going across a valley, um, you know, wind, uh, wind is like water. It's going to take the past le least, um, sorry, least resistance. And it's also, it can speed up if you narrow it down and, uh, you can create, you know, if you funnel it in, it gets faster. So you have to look at that. And I don't, I don't see people looking at the terrain enough, I think. And I don't see people, I never see them kind of looking up 
or, uh, you know, where the bullet's going to be at. Hey, what do I see there? Is there anything I can see? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. So, you know, at least think about it and know where that bullet's going to be going. And it's hard for me. Sometimes somebody will ask me and maybe as a, an instructor or something, maybe I need to get better at it. But I, a lot of times it's, it's kind of like you said with uh, shooting a mover, you know, and throwing a football. I've shot my rifle a lot. Uh, a lot of six millimeters what I use and somebody will ask me, Hey, what do you think the wind is? And I'll say, well, that's a 0.6 wind, you know, my call instead of it's a, you know, eight mile an hour or whatever. So it it does get into kind of feel. It gets into a little bit of voodoo. And, um, I, I, the better shooters I know, uh, rarely have their Kestrels out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And what you're talking about, about the the terrain, we see that a lot whenever we were training up in Colorado, Uh uh, you know, going, and stuff like that and a lot of times you'll get the we're there in you know that june time frame typically and so you'll actually get the pollen that's in the air and you know you can kind of see what the pollen's doing um you know there's there's other indicators that are out there that'll give it to you but again i I think the the most important thing that you just said right there was man we need to get a mill on here oh yeah yeah he's he's a i i don't know if there's anybody in the world that that is better at least at explaining it than he is yeah, absolutely. I, I've listened to him before uh, over at Precision Rifle Expo uh, a couple of years ago. They canceled it last year because of COVID, but I was there that year before. Um, and man, I, I tell you what, I was just, you know, <laughs> listening to this guy is, is, you know, he's throwing out some knowledge bombs on it for sure. Awesome. What do we got next? Uh, same, same, same email. Um, for training, uh, go to a variety of classes in different parts of the country or go to comps in different parts of the country. And he answered his own question again. Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends always. Now I, you know, as you know, as you know, being a, a firearms instructor, you know, I, I'm always going to say, go to classes, you know, go to, go to classes, you know, get, get your information, but that does not discount the value of competition. I mean, it, you know, the competition, you're going to learn a heck of a lot, not only, not only about shooting, but, you know, different ways to practice, you know, different things that match directors come up with, you know, and, and I'm kind of sit the, sit the fence on this one because as a match director, you know, we want to be able to challenge shooters and um, it, it, that, you know, that so that they can learn, you know, it's, it's the whole thing about, you know, the rifles only accuracy podcast. We want to build better shooters and you can do that in both ways. You can do it in classes as well as competition. The, the advantage of the class is that you're going to be able to get a solid understanding of how to tackle a problem and get some time spent on it. And you're not just learning under a 90 second or a two minute time limit. Mm-hmm. So you have asked questions. You can see other people in the class, how they tackle the problem. And it's like one of those things we talk about, you know, the, you know, shooting off barricades. You know, this is just, just for an example, you know, if you're, if you're in some sort of standing position, you know, barricade, tripod, whatever location may be, you know, it, it's best not to be bladed off because mm-hmm. you're kind of having forward and back stability but you don't have any lateral stability whenever you're bladed off. And and down here it gets really windy and you can see the wind actually blow your body and you can see it on the, in the reticle and everything else. So you kind of square up to your target as best you can. You know, you always want to square up to your rifle to the best of your ability, but square up to that target too, to give you a little bit more stability. But, you know, invariably, you know, we start doing different positions and, and uh, you know, the question comes up says, you know, well, well, is it all right if I put my foot here or is it all right if I, you know, put my ankle here? And my answer is, look, Everybody is shaped different. Everybody is going to attack that rifle in a different way because everybody's built differently. And so you have to ask yourself that one question in this, in this position, 
does it enhance my ability to apply the fundamentals of marksmanship? And if it does enhance your ability to apply the fundamentals of marksmanship, then it's not wrong. You know, there's, there's, um, th- there's nine ways to skin a cat and you just have to be able to, you know, go with what's going to work with your certain build and, you know, who you are. Uh, you and I are built different. You know, uh-huh. I've had students that are six, five. I've also had students that are four, nine. Well, they're not, they, there's no hard and fast set of rules on how they're going to accomplish alternate positional shooting. They're, they're just two different sides. And the weapons that we're using, while they're not exactly the same, they're of similar size. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you got some five foot tall, you know, shooting a gun the same size as the guy who's six, five shooting, the, shooting the same gun or, or something similar. And so, you know, that that's just kind of one of those things. I think that, I think that classes are much better for that because again, you're, you know, you're not, you're not having to worry about the timer. You know, you're not have to worry about, you know, time starts now. Um, and, and so it gives you an opportunity to work there. On the other hand, go into a competition. It gives you the opportunity to say, Hey, I need to solve this problem and I need to solve it RTFN. And how am I going to do that? In other words, it gets you into that, you know, let's, 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 you know, let's solve this quickly. And I think that's one of the things that's, that uh, a lot of people are really, really, you know, screaming and yelling about the NRL Hunter series. You know, they're just praising it because it's, you know, you go up to the stage and it's, you know, find it, range it, engage it. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Well, do I have to be here? No, you don't have to be here. Frank talked about this in one of his podcasts too. You know, it's just one of those things that that's field shooting. And the more I think in competitions that we can emulate field shooting, the better off we're going to be because this is after all field shooting. Uh, right. And I think uh, the big thing you hit there that uh, is, there's a big point that, that I always try to make is you said, uh, does it, you have to ask it, does it support the fundamentals of marksmanship? And right. here's the thing, unless you've done a, you, you could, you can find it online and you can do some stuff, but unless you've really been to some instruction or have a really good understanding, how do you know that? You don't. Yeah. So I always tell people you, you, you need that class or you need that base to begin with because, uh, and you know, sometimes they, they are going to put you in a spot where you may not be able to, you know, you might have to sacrifice something. You might not be able to get straight behind that rifle cause you're, you know, in a little box somewhere, uh, or you might not get your edge to edge sight picture. And, but if you don't know what you're sacrificing, uh, you don't know what you have to really focus on, if that makes sense. So if you yeah. don't know these things, yeah. you're, you're kind of okay. lost. And trading, you know, indexing and trading. So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, when tell me a time in your life when your trigger control could be compromised. And and the I mean, there's a lot of answers, but one of the answers is, is temperature. You know, mm-hmm. if you've been out, you've been out for a while and you can't feel your toes, you can't feel your fingers, and then you got to make a shot. Then you need to understand, hey, my trigger control is probably going to be compromised on this. So I'm going to make sure I got the proper hand position on it. But I'm going to really double down on my natural point of aim, my breathing, you know, my image. I'm going to make sure that I've got these other fundamentals taking up where one fundamental is, is, you know, somewhat slacking off or you can't get it. Another one could be breathing. You know, if you're one of those that, you know, you have, you have movement from place to place and, you know, your heart rate gets up, your uh, respiratory rate goes up, maybe a little bit of an adrenaline dump. And you have to think, okay, my breathing could be compromised on this. I'm going to do everything I can to get it right, but I'm going to double down on everything else so that, you know, the, the strength of some of them can take up the weakness of one. Yeah. And, and you need that base. Uh, and, and I know we've talked about it one day, we will get around to doing a podcast on the actual, uh, um, 
I don't want to say it's a cycle, but the the proper stages of uh, moving through your shooting uh, career or whatnot. Because again, like we said, it depends. If you're somebody that's straight out of there, you want to be hammering. Well, you always want to be hammering fundamentals, but you need to get out there and get a, a fundamental class. Don't uh, don't go take. Uh, and I'm not knocking them because I'm going to actually endorse them in a second. If you're a new guy, don't go take a JTAC class with the top four PRS shooters in the country. Go find a, a Jacob Bynum, a Frank, uh, those guys. Get your you know hammer in your fundamentals. And then get out there and shoot those matches, start seeing some of those problems, get to where you're in that mid to upper pack, and then go take that JTAC class, which is really going to hammer in how to, to really tackle some of the stuff you see in these uh, more gamery type things and work on the mental mindset and how to get to that point. And then come back and take another fundamentals class, start hammering them in and get in your competitions like that. Make sure you have a plan. And when you look at a class or a competition, ask yourself, okay, what is what is this going to accomplish? Uh, sometimes going to a match is just a, a, a destination. It's more about having fun, uh, and the whole thing. And that's fine and great. Uh, but if you look at it and go, okay, my, my, uh, my point of this competition to spend $250 on this match and uh, another thousand dollars on travel is to really be competitive. Well then ask yourself, am I going to be competitive or should I take this, uh, $1,500 and go take the, uh, the the rifles only class. If you're already taking that, should I go take the JTAC class? So make sure you have a plan and make sure it's in the right order. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Everything is going to be back on the fundamentals, but by the time you get to that level, those fundamentals need to be innate. Yes. You know, they need to that you know you don't have to think about it because that's a it's a different kind of class for a different reason. Um, but you know the the fundamentals. You know everybody everybody can always come back. Everybody always needs a refresher. I mean we have. We have several people that, that take our, our one and two course once a year without fail. Uh, even more of them will come back and take it every two years. And they'll just come back and say, man, I just really needed the refresher. And, you know, their life gets in the way. You know, you get over, you got to work and everything else. And then you start to let things kind of go by the wayside. You need a, you need a good coach to go in there and, and uh, you know, get you, get you lined out on your fundamentals again. Uh, next one, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Got the rimfire, but he's looking for the magnification range best for rimfire. Uh, four to 16, six to 24, five to 25, um, all of which are good choices. Um, I will tell you this, and I know this from, uh, training the classes, whether it's rimfire or centerfire, um, those variable max scopes are variable for a reason. And the reason is, is sometimes you're a lot better off with less power. And I know that we've talked about this before, but I think the only time that I'll actually run my scope all the way up to, to full power is whenever I'm zeroing a rifle at mm-hmm. hundred. That's it. Uh, all other times, if I'm, you know, on a barricade or if I'm shooting movers, you know, I, I want to back that power down because I want to open up my field of view. So I want a good, you know, lower range portion of it. I had one guy come to a class in the lowest range of his scope. It was something ridiculous, like 14. And it was just like, man, can't do it. And I go over and people are, are trying to, you know, work multiple targets at multiple distances and stuff like that. And you go over and look at their scopes at 25. Well, they're timing out because, you know, they're, they're looking, they're trying to look through this toilet paper tube, you know, to, to find their targets. And there's, there's methodologies you can use to, to get it into your, into your field of view. But one of the first things you want to do is back your power down, back your power down, you know, get it down to that eight ten, get it enough to where you can see your graduations and your reticle and things like that. And now reticles are getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. And, and that's okay. It's just, you know, part of it is you need to be able to, you know, know what, information you need to pick up like if i've got another target that i got to tackle right after this one i don't want to be up on the super super high power because my field of view is just too limited and so there's i mean i could go on about 
uh, how to solve this, you know, and everything else. Um, I would, I'd say the, you know, any of those choices, four to 16, six to 24, five to 25, any of those are all good choices, you know, find those things in your budget, you know, and something that, you know, you like and get mill mill, please for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Uh, and then, uh, and then go and practice with it. But keep in mind that those, those super, super high powers. And it's kind of like this. If you look at another, another, uh, discipline is bench rest. And so if you go out, it's like the Leupold, Leupold bench rest scopes, man, they have, they run on super high magnification, you know, 40, 50 magnification. Well, what they're doing is they're shooting these things at very close ranges, a hundred yards, maybe 200 yards. And they're, they're aiming at different points of the previous bullet hole mm-hmm. because what they're trying to do is the next bullet right through there, right through the exact same hole. And so then, yes, I'm not having to search for my target. I know exactly where my target is. It's not field shooting. And again, it's not a knock on bench rest. It, bench rest is looking better and better to me as I get older, but it, it, for field rifle, you know, don't be afraid to change that magnification ring. And again, uh, you know, we've had uh, Buck on here before, you know, mm-hmm. talking about that. We back too, um, but these are the these are the things they they have a variable range for a reason. You know, sometimes you're going to need a higher power, and again, that's going to be that time that you need a higher power is going to be very very limited. And you know, people say, oh well, if I'm shooting really really far, then I need you know a, a very high magnification. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. The further you go, the less magnification you want, because if you are trying to shoot a target, you know, at uh, 1800 yards and you've got it up on 36 power, well, every bit of mirage between you and your 1800 yard target is going to be magnified, you know, 35 times. And that's just, you know, it's just, it doesn't work. You know, you, whenever I've said it before, whenever you back down the power on your scope, you can kind of feel your eyeballs say, ah, and Joe, I think I said that here pretty recently. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I again, it, it's a it's a thing that depends. Um, I think if you're you're hunting, you want something that'll go down in that two to four power, five power area. If uh, you're shooting matches, I'd like to see something that goes down to at least uh, seven to ten somewhere. And then uh, if you can get it, the biggest uh, range that you can possibly get, because the more range, if as long as the glass isn't compromised or anything, the more range, you know, the more options as long as you're using them properly. Uh, for me, I I when I zero, I have it cranked up. Um, in matches, I may, if it's like a, a KYL or something, I, you know, uh, I'll def, I might crank it up for that last little small, you know, half MOA or something. Um, if, it, if there is not a lot of Mirage, I might crank it up at the distance. Uh, a lot of times I don't. And one thing that uh, I have found that I've been doing that's, uh, it's kind of like using your Kestrel, uh, but not in the match. What I'll do is while I'm practicing, and uh, because uh, if we're we're talking PRS type matches or anything, or or even if you're you're hunting or whatever, you see you, you see it with the eye, you kill it with a scope, uh, and you don't want to be searching around. And we've talked about using your finger and pointing, but what I I like to do is I will turn for pra- for practicing. I will turn it all the way up, and what I'll do is I'll get behind the rifle, I'll settle it in, I'll point it where I want, and I fall down in the optic. And uh, with that higher power, um, it's like swinging a baseball bat with a weight on it. So if I'm getting good practicing, finding my target fast with it on higher power, when I'm at a match, it's not turned all the way up, but it's just far easier with that bigger field of view, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure it does. For sure it does. All right. We had a guy that had come in um, to do a course in Colorado and uh, we were using some tripods out there. And his question was, um, how should you go about start learning to shoot off of a tripod? Uh, the same way you learn how to shoot in the wind and the same way you learn how to shoot movers, go shoot off your tripod. Uh, there's going to be some, there's going to be some basic stuff in there. You know, the, the, you'll see the tripod. In fact, I've got, I've got my, uh, 
and my ATX sitting here in the classroom on the two vets tripod, the 40 mic mic, and I've got it. You know, the tripod is kind of right in the middle of the gun. Um, mm-hmm. That things that you know I'll, I'll, you'll see that a lot because the rifle just balances there. But the, keep in mind, the further you get that tripod out towards the muzzle, the more or the less wobble or appearance of wobble that you're going to get because of the fact just from where the fulcrum is. Um, again, you're shaped different me, differently than me. And so I would have to go off and say, all right, I need this height for seated, this height for kneeling, this height for, for standing. And a lot of times you, know, you go practice that. A lot of things you can do is you can take Sharpies. And whenever you're extending the legs, you know, you can put marks on there. I need to go right here for a seated shot, right here for a kneeling shot, or I need it right here for a standing shot. Because this one, if I go all the way, all the way extended, it's too tall for me on a standing shot. And so those are other just little things. But the main thing is to go out there and and actually shoot on them. Um, Again, we had a really good, a really good tripod class out there on on one of the classes. We didn't get to do this block for all of the classes, but um there was a guy there that was, you know, actually teaching that block. And he he says he hasn't shot prone in forever. And what he does is he just shoots off of a tripod and he's just a stable. But part of that, part of that is the fact that he has gone out and actually shot off the tripod. And so the neural pathways on how that body needs to react there has become innate. And again, whenever we start talking about neural pathways, you know, I always make the comment. If you want a good example of neural pathways, if you're a right-hander, before you go to bed, put on your safety glasses and brush your teeth with your left hand because you're going to need the safety glasses. It's going to turn into a, a wicked mess. <laughs> so, you know, but after you, after you practice it for a while, you build those neural pathways, you know, you strengthen those neural pathways. And so then you can, you know, you can, you know, go brush your teeth with either hand. Lindy Sisk, uh, one of the instructors here, you know, have been with us forever. And, you know, he'll go out and he, he, if he's shooting his rifle and, you know, you'll ask him at the end of it, hey, man, he'll come in and says, yeah, I did this and this and this and I said, were you shooting right-handed or left-handed? And he'll actually look at you like with that look. So, you know what? I don't remember. <laughs> you know, he just, you know, however, wherever he was, whenever he decided to get behind the rifle. With hey, Jacob, hold on one second. All right. Got some feedback over here because a guy, they are cutting the grass outside of my apartment here. Uh, Try it now. What do you sound like now? I, I, how do I say? No, okay, you're right. It's just some feedback coming in my uh, my uh, my headphones here. Uh, sorry, guys, that'll probably come out on the podcast, but I think we're okay now. Yeah, yeah, but at any rate, it, it's just like, and that that goes the same for working with a tripod or working alternate positions or even prone. You know, the first time you go prone, you know, if you can remember back that far, you know, it's probably pretty uncomfortable, and you know, it, it just didn't feel right. But then the more you do it, the more you train those muscles and build those neural pathways in your brain. And you can, you know, kind of, kind of get, that's how you learn to shoot off a tripod is actually spend the time going and doing it. It doesn't have to be live fire either. You know, you can actually go and, and sit in your garage and, or in your backyard and just, uh, just dry fire with it. You know, look at, look at different things downrange, look at the wobble, you know, see, okay, where does my proceeded, where does my ankle need to go? Where does my foot need to go? All these things that you can go and, and practice, you know, it's just unlimited. It's unlimited, but the tripod is, you know, it's a great tool and, uh, you know, you can get, it's very versatile and it's very helpful. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of answers that question. You know, go practice with it, practice different things, and and don't make it don't make it easy. No, don't. And uh, the only thing I can add to that is uh, don't make the first time or one of the first times at a match or on an expensive hunt. It's not as easy as it looks. You got to train with that thing, and also it's like we always say here. 
be cautious of anyone that tells you always or never. Uh, you can use that tripod in so many different ways, and I've used it in ways that people swear up and down. You're not supposed to use it that way. I'm like, well, it, it works. So. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And one of the guys that is well, the guy that was up there. He said he even had the tripod, and he even removed one of the legs and just made a, a really big bipod out mm-hmm. of it. You know, you know that was what he always had that other leg if he needed it to put it back on, but he would take it off so that he could you know be you know running and gunning and, and shooting and scooting. So you know, just again, they're they're so versatile, but you got to go practice with them. All right, what else we got? Okay, so this um, another one came in. Uh, comes in from James is talking about he's shooting six millimeter um, and he's gone out, he's been shooting 20 inch barrels and he's been able to get out to 1300. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Oh, with a six, five on that one. At any rate, um, he wants to hit a mile just for the heck of it. Um, saying that most guys recommend a 24 to 26 inch barrels. And the reason that he gathered is that it's heavier which offers better recoil management and there's a reduction in feet per second. When you start hacking engines off inches off, that's true. Uh, he wanted to know is, is he, are shooters running longer barrels? Cause that's what everyone does or because the 20 inch guys are at a real disadvantage. You know, he likes shooting 20 inch guns and he feels like that he's not really giving up too much shooting a 20 inch gun. And the reason he liked it, he listed them easier to maneuver enough length to stabilize the bullet not a massive drop in feet per second from 24 inches and less time for shooter error to throw off the point of impact. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. And he said, it looks pretty sweet. Um, easier to maneuver, obviously. Yes. I mean, it's, it's obvious, no question about it, but again, uh, on, uh, you know, t- let's just move into that other one about let's move into number four, uh, less time for the shooter error to throw off mm. point of impact. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know, the barrel, the bullet's going to be in there, but it's a pretty short period of time. You know, the, the thing about it is, is that the longer barrels they have, you know, you can have a tendency to, you know, have not as accurate, you know, not as stiff. Um, and the only reason I'm thinking way back into my memory banks, uh, with my AW again, so many barrels been on that, but at one time I had a 16 inch 308 barrel, uh, probably one of the most accurate barrels. Uh, give me the reason why. I don't know. Maybe the bullet was gone before I had a chance to screw it up. Maybe. I don't know. But the the disadvantage on that was it, it had more perceived recoil. Uh-huh. There was more recoil. Um, but I think the advantages outweighed it. It was a perfect truck gun, like you said, at number one. Easy, very easy to maneuver. Um, and again, stabilizing the bullet. I mean, you think about it, you got seven and a half inch uh, 556 guns that are pretty accurate. I've got one. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty accurate. So it's going to stabilize the bullet. I don't think that's really a factor. No. Um, going from, you know, 24 inches down to 20 inches. You know, again, I'll let you talk about the velocity on that. People are slowing down. I'm speeding up, but go ahead on that one. Yeah, um, we'll talk about the velocity right off the top of my head. The only two reasons I uh, look at barrel length, the uh, one maneuverability, you have to look at your game or what you're doing. If you're putting it in a truck, you don't want a 30-inch barrel. Um, nope. If you're shooting a, hold on one second, one more time while this guy uh, comes back through here, I'm going to turn this volume down for a second. Are you still there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm just, uh, it's a little feedback. I think it's okay now, but yeah, every time the guy walks by with the, uh, the, the lawnmower there. Anyway, we're good. Uh, so you got to look at what your, uh, your, your game is there. Um, you don't want to go to a match or somewhere or especially something prone where you're shooting out really far with a 16 inch barrel. 
So you got to look at it that way. Uh, the other for what mostly what I do, I look at two things. He did bring up the balance um, and all that. So if if your rifle, in my opinion, weight does matter for recoil. But uh, and I think most people agree, uh, at least the game we're shooting with these bags and all that balance is more important. So if your rifle balances with the twenty inch barrel, go for it. If it doesn't, you may need to look at that because you may need you may be working harder. Uh, to support the rifle, natural point aim, stuff like that. Uh, speed, though, uh, especially with a six Creedmoor, you, it's going fast. I mean, it's a six Creedmoor. It's the, it's the, you know, that's horsepower. If you want horsepower, you go a six Creed. Uh, so you should be able to get plenty of speed out of that twenty-inch barrel. And everyone now, uh, a few years back, everybody was speeding up. They're trying to hit that thirty-two hundred uh, speed limit. And then people figured out that uh, you only got a couple tenths of wind out of it, but then you were burning your barrel out faster. Maybe it was inconsistent. You had to mess with your seating depth, powder charges, all that stuff. So guys, the top guys now are backing down. They're shooting anywhere from 2775 to 2850 with uh, 6BRs, 6GTs, uh, 6-Dashers, 6BRX, uh, you name it, 6BRA. Uh, even the 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 six Creedmoor guys are slowing way down and I'm I'm 90% sure with a 20 inch barrel you can get around 28 to 28.50 really easy out of a six Creedmoor so I, I don't see any if you're happy with it and you're shooting well uh, great uh, I would just look at that balance if it's not balancing right for you uh, give it a think that, that's about it man that um, that, that kind of covered the most of the questions that we had we had some of them again we've got a lot of them I've got so many emails that came in for Allison or just oh, and Regina. They're probably more popular than you and me. Oh, I'm and, sure. You know, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, what's uh, there's only two people in the country right now with a perfect 300, and Allison's one of them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully we can get this um, logistics thing figured out. Pretty I think quick. so. Pretty quick. I think we can get it. In, uh, uh, knock on wood. Uh, we. I was talking to chatting with uh, Allison this morning uh, about mm-hmm. a, a date, so we'll we'll get that hammered out and. Uh, I think uh, there's no real big matches in the next week or two, so we should be good. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, we've got about about to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that other topic I was going to talk about. Uh, we brought up, we'll talk about that uh, another time, uh, either after Regina or uh, as filler material before we get Regina and Allison on. The only uh, housekeeping stuff that I got is anybody that's local down here in the South Texas and you're in the Rimfire, uh, I, uh, obviously I, I, uh, work with voodoo, shoot with voodoo and I do a little small, uh, rimfire series. Uh, it's been hot the last two months. So we've been shooting that, uh, but we're going to get kicked back off, uh, uh, in September. Uh, the, I'll have to redo the schedule a little bit. It, it was looking for September 15th and Pearsall. We're changing up. We're actually, it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, anybody that's, uh, anywhere near Houston or anywhere south of Dallas has heard of Texas precision matches, Prentice Wink, uh, David Locke. Um, they do an amazing job. They're probably one of the, I don't even know if there's 10 match directors in the whole country that get 60 to 80 people, uh, per month at a club match for centerfire and rimfire. It's, it's kind of amazing how many people they get. They put on great matches. So we're going to team up with them a bit. Uh, it's going to be their, uh, deuces wild, I believe is what they're calling it. Uh, man, I should have had it written down. I think it's September 18th. It's that Saturday. It's pretty close to that, but, uh, we're going to be out there. It's a one day. I think it's gonna be at 10 stages. There's going to be trophies going to be doubled up. It's going to have their trophies and it's going to have some voodoo trophies. See what else other fun stuff we can do. But uh, I'm really excited to work with those guys. They put on amazing matches. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Let's not forget everybody else. Like, uh, you know, voodoo, who you just mentioned, local thunder beast, um, 
the rest of the crew that, that helped us out to put on this podcast. Oh yeah, we got a wee bad uh, fix it sticks. I gotta say, fix it sticks. I love those things. I, I, they're so fix it sticks work so well. It's kind of boring. They work so well, and I forget they even. But I use them every range trip, everything I do, or any class. I'm always using them, and a lot of times I forget to say it because they're so reliable. I just forget about them. Uh, like I said, we bad, uh, you said Leopold, uh, zero comp on the, uh, another side that, that helps uh, me out over there. Zero compromise. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Oh, Massey's gun shop and range, uh, Enrique, uh, down there, the gunsmith, uh, get you spun up Redbeard Gunworks. Redbeard's actually, uh, I don't know if you've been seeing it. They're going to do a match. I forget the date, but it's going to be at Brittle Iron South coming up later this year. Should be a great match if you're in the area, Refugio, Texas. I've been out there to Brattle Iron. I've been out there. Um, Frank and Chris were doing a class, and I went out there to, to visit with them. We talked about positional shooting and stuff. That, that's going to be a pretty good venue. Uh, as that as that venue matures, it's going to be a really, really nice out there. Yeah, I, I, I got to look at the date. I don't think I'm doing anything. If I'm not doing anything, I'm absolutely going to shoot that. I, I like I love going to, especially down here in near South Texas, any new venues, I love getting out and checking them out. Yeah, they got a really cool tower, a uh, little classroom underneath it, uh, Target's going out to however far i mean it, it, it's really cool it, it's a nice place no question uh, oh yeah magpul uh thunder beast i think we talked about magpul thunder beast uh man i gotta really start making a list because people are going to listen to this and and i forgot to say something about them yeah you forgot me you forgot me and oh, we shouldn't do no we should sure. uh grind ops coffee local law enforcement owned great coffee uh donates a lot of stuff to matches uh gives away a lot of coffee yep absolutely and the other thing, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, and I look down and I'm wearing, uh, I talked to Lisa about this. I hadn't mentioned this to you, Dave, or not, but I'm looking down and I'm wearing the, the uh, Just F and Send It podcast t-shirt. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and so I talk about doing that um, doing that t-shirt. And so if uh, y'all send me an email at ROAP at RiflesOnly.com, if y'all would like to see us uh, produce some, some podcast t-shirts, uh, that would be pretty easy. We do them for Rifles Only all the time, so... If y'all have something y'all be interested in, just let me know on the uh, on the email, and we'll we'll get some done if if we got enough interest. Yep, same thing. Uh, if they want a, a rimfire or a centerfire class, you want them emailing you at uh, rifles only or RAP. Where do you want that email going? Either way, or you know they can they can call me. I put my phone number out there. You can sign up online for any of the classes that we have. Uh, the ones that are that are open to the public, you know, they're all listed uh, on the calendar at riflesonly.com. Uh, if you don't have that kind of time to go and, and wade through a website, you can send me an email at uh, jacob at riflesonly.com or roap at riflesonly.com. Either one of those emails come straight to me, and uh, we'll get you sorted out. All right. That sounds great. Uh, let me get some little exit music. I forgot all about that. Yeah, I don't think I clicked my pen enough today either. Oh, wow. You didn't do it at all. That's until uh, just now. You just There we go. Yeah. All right. I think that's about it. You got anything? Uh, no, I don't, Dave. Good talking to you again, and uh, and we'll talk real soon. All right. See you next week, guys.